It says a guy in his late 50s with a ponytail who would like to date women in their 30s. That is what having a virtual startup inside of your company can be. Yes, Paul. So we published this thing called Catalyst, kind of like a white paper, but like a fun white paper, like a readable white paper about how to how to do digital transformation, how to get them to actually say yes to your big software project. That's what it's, it's really about. It's a great cheat sheet for anyone that is doing something big with technology. It's free. You can get it at postlight.com slash catalyst. C-A-T-A-L-Y-S-T. We didn't even mess with the spelling, right? Like, no, no, we're not playing that game. Like that. We're not playing games here. And back in November, Paul, we had an event, a live recording of this podcast. Rich, I'm going to tell you, you, you invite people to a webinar, you tweet it out, and you expect about three people to come. I was hoping to do this promo without saying the word webinar, but here we are. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. It was kind of... Yeah, yeah more than sorry. 100 people showed up. The questions were great. You made a a deck that erred on the side of being a little ridiculous, which is what everybody needs when they're working from home. Yeah, nobody wanted to see bullet after bullet after bullet, right? It was fun, and it was it was pretty loose, and, and I think we shared a lot of good ideas. It was... Part one of a series around the Catalyst framework, right? And so the second part is coming up on March 4th. Thursday. On March 4th at 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, We're going to talk about gaining consensus and the power of design in helping gain consensus. But as these things go, uh, we will go off the reservation, no doubt. So we'll keep it loose and fun and bring your questions. It was kind of interactive last time. So it was actually very successful last time. So we're excited to do this again. I'm looking forward to it because some of the questions are, are throw us off our game. Like it's actually fun. So, so come on fun. and yeah, see, if, bring see it. if you, you know, sweep the legs, see what happens. We're, we're looking forward to it. So Rich, what people should do if they want the invite, go to postlight.com and subscribe to our newsletter. And we will send you info on how to Join. come to our event webinar. Let's get back to our podcast. Rich, it is a beautiful snowy day in New York City. I love the snow. I do. It turns into a weird grayish brown color Ooh. after an hour in New York City. But in There's, the beginning, it's really pretty. There is nothing worse than New York City snow after about three weeks. It's filled with treasures. Yeah, exactly. It's filled with treasures. We all, if you live in New York City long enough, become a grayish color anyway. (laughs) So it's it's all good. I want to jump in because there was a a post on medium.com. Okay. So you're still reading medium.com? I love Medium. I, 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 have I, lots of, I like Medium. So it's by Hunter Walk, who is a, a VC, but the kind of VC who speaks their mind and is actually seems to be a human being, right? Like that's that's a real challenge for venture capital is to just <laughs> good Twitter account. Seems like a pretty accountable, thoughtful person, a good rep. And so he wrote a piece, which frankly, all we need to do is discuss the title. He was responding to the CEO of Waze, a person named Noam Barden. Waze was, you know, it's 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 part of Google Maps. You go into Google Maps and, and there's mm. it gives you traffic, right? You probably yeah. used it driving around the other day. It's great for speed traps. 
Ah, oh, love Waze. Everybody loves Waze. It's a wonderful feature in Google Maps, except it didn't used to be. It used to be its own company. Google bought it. The CEO wrote a post about like the delta between being a CEO and a founder and living inside of Google when he stayed for seven years and kind of all the things that he learned. And you're not allowed to read it because it has like he's just there's a point where he's like, I kind of needed people to work late. And they said they had yoga and it got me very upset. Right. Like that's, that's, I can't have you reading that and discussing that. Uh, um, it's worth noting. I mean, let's say it out loud. That's not typical. Staying seven years at the company that bought your company is not typical. Incre- incredibly unusual. And you see, this is someone who really cared. He really cared about the place. And there's also an interesting fact, which is a lot of the, um, the way they'd structured the company, there wasn't a big buyout for him, right? Like it was the investors had kind of taken all the equity. So there's, I guess, probably a motivation there to stay around. But he stayed for seven years. So it's interesting piece, kind of an interesting piece to read as a company leader because he's just like, you know, and and, and as you're scaling. But let me give you the title of Hunter Walk's piece. Why there's no such thing as a startup within a big company. Yeesh. <laughs> all you have to do one. is take out the why, tweet it, yeah. and then you're in business. This is a tricky one because I'll tell you, at earlier stages in my career, I've advocated for this. I've said, like, and we we talk about it, like, oh, you know, you've got to separate the team and create kind of the virtual startup and so on. As time has gone on, and there are, there are cases where it works. You can sometimes innovate and create new product inside of orgs. As time has gone on, and I've learned about the nature of large organizations. I've learned that the odds are so stacked against you to do something really interesting and innovative and big at scale that will in any way eat up the other parts of the organization that I I have to take it under extreme advisement before I would suggest, oh, do do an internal startup. It really should be approached very carefully. It's not a, it's not a cure. You know, we've seen this movie numerous times, right? And the reason we've seen it numerous times is very often instinctively the sponsor of this startup, let's put it in quotes, realizes that he could route around the political friction and biases within the organization by hiring a little shop outside. And it's the right instinct. It's a good instinct. Let's be clear. Nobody goes outside first. They call us after they felt the pain. They tried, you know, they've sponsored a couple projects. They didn't work out. Or the the person who was really talented quit and left. You know, we've met a lot of people who've come from big technology to work at in different industries. And they, they're like, like media or finance. And they kind of grab us by the children. Like, you're tech people. What the hell is wrong with everybody? I've, I've thought a lot about this, actually, and I've had a lot of conversations with leadership inside of companies who've struggled with this, right? And we've seen some, sometimes we've actually been ma- able to make a difference. Other times we haven't. We've had to just pack up and leave. And that's depressing, but it happens. I think there's a few things at play. I think the first thing to mention is organizations, especially big ones that grew, become optimized towards doing what they did well to make them successful better. Exactly. Well, and that's risk. That gets expressed as managing risk, right? No, I, I wouldn't even call it risk. I think it's a particular muscle mass that's built because they keep working out the same muscles over and over again. And so they get really good at them. Like, don't get into a debate with the core search thinkers at Google. 
This is all they eat and shit search and ads. Right. That's all right. they think about. When you get well, into they, I the, mean, literally what they do is they eat search and they excrete ads. That's, that's And they shit they ads. Exactly. That's that the business the model. It's incredibly lucrative, right? And so when you see something get that big and have that much money uh, and you see it venture out, it's just very alien to them. It's It takes, A, their biases are in place. They don't have strong muscle mass in the other places which they're alien to. They're not used to not being good at something. They're only been doing the thing they're good at because it made them a ton of money and they got real big. Xerox got really, really good at copiers. So you're going to now tell me that I want to move a thing around called a mouse pointer on a screen when people have things to print out? Are you kidding? And copy? I don't have time well, for that, I right? think it's like, yeah, it's cool. That's really G whiz. But, you know, I need to get the Xerox super copier and mimeograph system out to market. Let me read a paragraph from the Walks post here. So when someone tells you that there's an opportunity to build a startup within a big company, don't believe them. It's just not true. You can work on experimental products in a mechanism that tries to counterbalance mm -hmm. some of the gravitational pull and processes that a big company otherwise uses to manage itself, but it's not a startup. You will never be able to take the brand risks, legal risks, or partnership risks that a startup can. And to paraphrase someone I know who tried to lead one of these projects at Google and had done an actual startup themselves, it can never be a startup so long as my team has the Google badge on their belt and walks into the fancy cafeteria every day. Ooh, this, okay. First off, there's some psychology seeping through here. Um, <laughs> this guy's been through some stuff, clearly. Um, I've been to the Google cafeteria. It's very nice. Uh, let's just put that out there. Uh, if, that, if that's the audio. You snippet. have your choice. It is like, imagine infinite breadsticks as a concept, but every cuisine. There, When I was there, I was at the New York office and they, they drive food trucks into the office. And they just, you're just like. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a lot. Uh, yeah. The risk part, which I, I, I sort of brush you off on, is also a key facet. So, I, I mean, I, we love to bullet things. At least I love to bullet things out. One is um, organizational muscle memory and muscle mass around doing one thing very well and then being asked to do another thing well. That's hard. Google has a lot of just naturally bright people that can pretty much do anything. Google could pretty much do anything it wants if it really wanted to do it. I mean, if they want to make a car, if they, if they wanted to go into carpeting, you know, make a good move. But you're bringing up another point, which there's too much at stake. You can't stick Google on uh, the Google logo on anything you want and give it a go. Uh, the hesitation is because there's too much to lose. Uh, and when you're a startup, there is nothing more liberating than that feeling of like, oh my God, the training wheels are off. We're live. We crashed. We have problems, but we're going to barrel through them. That's a very, that sounds terrible, but let me tell you, I've talked to other successful founders and they talk, they speak romantically about those times because it's incredibly exciting to oh, take so those clarifying. risks. It's clarifying and to be near the edge of the cliff it's and not so fall ambiguous. over. You know, one of my fondest memories of Postlight was the very early days. We were, in, we were a couple months in and our biggest client just vanished, right? Like, like just, woof, they didn't exist anymore. They didn't send us home. The whole organization just ceased to exist. Yeah. And... We were like, well, I guess that's it. I was barely a salesperson at that point. I went and talked to a friend 
and she was like, I'll, I'll take what you got. What do you got? I'll give you, I'll yeah. give you like bargain no basement prices. Oh, yeah. And it was like, it was like we were, we, it was like we were in Vegas just trying to keep it moving. And we, and we were just kind of holding on to an idea that literally only you and I truly had in our heads and a, a few other leaders were connected to. And everybody else was like, I don't know, maybe I'll work for this company. And that was so clarifying and fun. And we'll never have a moment again like that because you can't, I mean, we have to manage our every single thing we do to, to keep things from, like that from happening, right? You know what a, a big company is that tries to do a startup? It's what? like it's a 63-year-old dude, divorced, who pierces his ear and wears like a black silk t-shirt in Miami. It's a ponytail. It's a ponytail. It's just contrived. It's not real because the truth is he doesn't have to try too hard. He's actually not taking many risks because his his investment portfolio is in really good shape. That's why he bought the condo in Miami. There's another thing in here I think that that is interesting. So we we wrote about this. This is our white paper catalyst that we you know if you go postlight.com/catalyst check it out. There's a third way here. Okay, so there is, I work in a giant company. We do boring work. We are stuck on Java 2, and we can only update our core platform, which is unusable once every six months. And then there is, I am in a hot startup that iterates every 35 minutes. There actually is a vast middle tranche, which is like, I need to make the CRM not suck. And that would be really good for the whole business. And everybody agrees, but they're fighting about it. And I think I could get in there and actually ship a good software product and it would make a lot of difference to the bottom line. It's it's not profound. I'm not going to completely change every aspect of my business. However, I am going to get every salesperson to start using an iPad instead of only sending emails once a week. Is that is that a startup though? No. That's the thing, but I, I think you got to be really careful. Like, there's really boring, giant organizational development, and then there is incredibly like just we are a startup, we are completely independent. Here we go, and then there is this big range of meaningful work in the middle that nobody complains about and doesn't make anyone a trillion dollars. So you kind of never hear about it. You know, I, I don't think the sponsorship is genuine. I think when someone is is trusted in an organization, it's like, look, we got to get into Internet of Things or whatever that means right? We have to, we have to, we have to, we have to. And we're behind you. They don't mean it. They often don't mean it. They're only sort of behind them. Uh, I'm not sure why that is. They don't mean it mainly because they're not betting everything. Uh, they're not actually, it's not existential. It's not, The key ingredient of startups is that there is an existential element to the whole story that fuels everything else. You know, sometimes you'll talk to people, like especially consultants, and be like, you know what we're seeing is used to be that, you know, it was the CFO who became the the CTO. But now increasingly it might be even the CTO in a tech org who could become promoted to the CEO or the chief risk officer. And that's like a really exciting conversation that people like to have in consulting. It's not interesting to anybody else, right? But it is, it's sort of like, where is the power center in the organization? You know what no one has said? The what? director of the research lab is going to run the company now. No, 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 no. That's the playground. It's a playground, right? The innovation, the people who were in charge of innovation are going to run the giant org. And I, I think that to me is like, it is play. And it's, and I think research orgs know that like, hey, we're going to get some ideas and we can roll them in. When you talk to giant orgs, they're like, hey, that'd be great if you came up with that idea. We'll need to rewrite, rewrite it on our core platform and it will take 13 months. This is also true about the giant cloud and and tech companies, right? Like they can't they can barely acquire anything anymore because it all has to get ported into their 
completely independent operating system of global mega scale. Yeah. And and that's bias, right? That's bias that is not just judgment or opinion. That is bias that has been actually activated. Walling yourself into your own platform is essentially bias run amok. Yes, unless you're at a, at a particular scale, like a really unusual scale, like Google, Facebook, maybe Twitter. So I, w- I want to give, I, I want to share a counter, the counter example of okay. a company that just is able to do it constantly. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna help you here by quoting uh, the founder. I constantly remind our employees to be afraid to wake up every morning terrified. You know who said that? I mean, that's you. You said that. Are you talking about? <laughs> sorry, sorry. Um, I, I, <laughs> fine. Yes. Paul, yeah, people don't know this. Like every day at 7.30 a.m., my phone rings and it's Rich saying, be terrified. That's, <laughs> that's, how, we've, that's how we've been able to grow Postlight. I'm going to guess Jeff Bezos. That's right. Jeff Bezos. And what Jeff Bezos is, is doing, you know, we talk about bias. We talk about lack of humility. I don't think he's a humble guy. I think he's genuinely terrified. I think he's fully convinced that he's going to be Eastman Kodak and, and the digital camera will arrive and he's not going to be on the train. He's terrified. And, and Well, he's decided, right? Usually, I mean, I've never had the experience of being worth $250 billion personally. Never had that. But, you know, give it time. You know, he has decided on a certain posture, right? And this is real. Like, Amazon Web Services is a factory, for generating new products. It's a shit show also. It we is. won't get into the product <laughs> experience side of it. Um, uh, it, is, it is true. It is like Edison's lab, but instead of the light bulb, it's like, oh, yeah, actually, how about a bag of garbage? And you're like, no, nah, can you, I get a light bulb? When you fly open that menu to see the different options, my whole computer kind of slows down for a minute. My lights <laughs> dim in the house because it has to draw the 800 mm. products that they... <laughs> my mouse pointer hitches for a second. Uh, do you know how tired the person who does Amazon Web Services icons is? Do you know what that is? <laughs> you know, it's like the person who did them for the Mac, it's either, I think it's Susan Carey or Susan Kerr. I don't know how to pronounce her last name, but you know, they, she worked hard to get all those little icons, right? And the yeah. person at Amazon, I mean, it's just like, okay, what if yeah. it had a little, like a little pipe coming out of a square? <laughs> Uh, yeah. You did like, that one already. That was 30 products ago. You need another pipe. Point the pipe the other way. <laughs> I just feel that like AWS product meetings are just like there's just people lined up outside with, yeah. with eight-page memos. Totally. And it's just like, what do you got, Mike? What do you got? Well, um, it's DNS sort of again. But, you know, they're like, um, let me ask. You, so I've heard, by the way, uh, look, I think it's cultural. I think it's part of like the collective collective sort of ethos that is infused in the company and existential dread is in Amazon. I've heard this through a lot of people who've gone through Amazon, either work there and come out. I've, I've heard people who got, who interviewed there and said there was something really cold and ugly going on. And I think it is just a place that is not basking in its glory. And, and I say that in a complimentary way, not in a negative way. That is not fun. That's always pressure cooker. You will get put through a meat grinder. There's no way around it. But man, when they start to sniff out something that's going to diversify who they are, even if it may fail, when they get behind it, they truly get behind it. And we've seen it, right? I mean, I don't like being happy about seeing an Amazon Studios movie. 
I'm a little yeah. embarrassed. Yeah, I know it is embarrassing because they got good. That's the thing. I mean, as I'm wrong plenty of times in my life. I was I used to think virtual startups inside of large organizations were good tools for innovation. Turns out it's way more complicated. <laughs> AWI would have told you three or four years ago that there is no way that the Amazons and Apples of the world could just suddenly get into making really top tier content. Just not possible. And I was completely wrong. I just sit there and watch Ted Lasso and the Expanse with drool rolling out of my mouth. Yep. And they won. They just, they absolutely, they got down there and they said, well, what kind of talent do we need over here? And, you know, that'll be 2% of our bottom line. Let's do it. Let's do a good job. And they kicked ass, and it's really good. And I mean, it's Amazon. Like you're watching, I'm watching The Boys on Amazon. You know, I mean, we've we've definitely tried to cut down the number of packages we're getting delivered from Amazon, but we've yet to actually even have the conversation about getting off of the digital platform. Right? It's not possible. The, the other example I, I think is worth mentioning is Netflix. Netflix got very very good at dealing with the U.S. Postal Service, like great yeah. at like really great at envelopes. They they got the cost of shipping an envelope out they were able to recycle their envelopes mm-hmm. and then one day they woke up and said the thing we got really really great at is actually going to end our business eventually and so we have to shift it all and that takes a particular tyranny you have to be tyrannical by the way i think there's a nice consistent shifts. narrative of them doing that but the reality is they completely screwed it like it was, remember they had like two products for a while and they're like, good news. Yeah. You yeah, don't yeah. have a Netflix subscription anymore. You have a subscription to woo to do. I can't remember what it was called. And, um, yeah, it, the transition is hard. Like there's no way around the that. transition is hard, but they can't so, understand what they had to, what they had to do. So let yes. me be a potential post like client. Hey, Rich, I want to build a virtual startup inside of big co we, we sell carpeting and I want to make something that lets people automatically select carpet in it. It actually gets knitted by 3D printers in their house. Can you help me? What do you think I should do? See, the first thing I'm that's going in my into my mind when someone asks me that question is, who are you? Like, are you someone that's been asked to go and look into this? Oh, my because name is you, Brad Bradson. I am a, I'm, I'm an SVP <laughs> of innovation at, at Carpet Co. Okay, so I pause. I'm, I'm Catholic by, by birth. And so I say a little prayer for you in my mind before we continue the conversation. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I would say, Brad, you know, what what is your mandate? Who are your sponsors? Why are you here? Like, what happened? What what? Tell me the story up till now, because you're in my. This office is real. Now, this right? is what's tricky about our 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 stage of growth. Right? Is most platforms are going to follow, uh, you know, the rough set of principles that you know they're going to have a back end and a front end and middleware and so on and so forth. The reality is that. More than anything, the sponsors, the organizational will, and the um, the desire of leadership to get something done mm-hmm. is what's going to decide whether a project ships or not. One of the things we do is help that stakeholder gain like real support, whether it be helping them with the deck that to pitch it. Uh, sometimes it's unsolicited. Sometimes it's like, look, I'm going to do something for you here. Because I think this isn't going to resonate with the real power dynamics within your org unless you put this in front of them. You know, we often review, and not even related to the work we do, people bring us their decks and they give us the pitch for whatever thing they're doing. It doesn't have to do a post play. And we'll be like, okay, yeah, you got to be mindful of this audience. The number one mistake everybody makes is trying to tell too much story about the platform and the technology and so on, right? Like mm-hmm. the people who your sponsors want to know 
what this is going to do for the business. Mm -hmm. And they don't really care that it's built on some sort of new processor architecture. Yeah. And the other thing, I mean, and this is a trick we can share out because we love to share advice is you can have a deck go in one of two ways. One leads you towards a beautiful, happy ending. And the other shows you a near miss of a really horrible, terrible ending. And executives in companies are far more motivated by fear than they are by the potential glory of success. And it's better to tell a story around, if we don't do this now, our lunch is going to get eaten. And I'm not saying in 10 years, I'm saying in three, right? That is far more compelling to the people that are worried about the long-term health of a business than guys, internet of things is changing how we live. My son showed me this yesterday. He talked to his bicycle and his bicycle answered back. And it's like, uh, cool. Cool. That's right. They're not going to make that jump, right? You've already made the jump. jump. People who are enamored with technology and just love the magic of tech have to be very, very careful because the real decision makers don't give a shit. They really don't. And that's, that's not bad. That's just what's up. The other, um, (laughs) the, the other thing that's key here. Is you know it can actually go the other direction. Literally yesterday, I sat down with you. I'm like, we've got. Well, I got a client I love, and I, I really like working with them. And they need to expand where they're at a little bit. And so it's like a pretty big project. But I tried to. I'm like trying to shave off cost and trying to make it really efficient and trying to just kind of move things forward for them. They don't. They don't have a lot of resources. And I presented it to you, and you're like, this is fine. This is good. We could do this. But what do you think? Do you really believe this is enough? And I'm like, no, this is a really great idea and it absolutely has to happen. And it should be, and you're like, how much? I'm like, it should be twice this team. It should be much bigger. And you're like, all right, we'll go pitch them both. And and I did. I, I pitched them the small tight version. And then I said, but you know, I actually think this is wrong given the kind of impact you want. Here's what it would look like to go to to double it up. You know what they said? Yeah, that's exactly what we're thinking too. We're, we're trying to decide between these two paths. There's a lot of reasons for the tight and efficient path, but we need to really be thinking, are we true to our mission if we're, mm-hmm. unless mm-hmm. we're going big, right? And that, Credit that's actually- Credit to them, by the way, because most don't have the courage to make the bigger bet. Most don't. That's the probably the primary reason these things fail, right? Is you don't right. have the right support. You don't have the, the will, frankly, the organizational will to really support something. Well, they're not they're not trying to check a box. They are trying to get the most impact possible and so they're willing to take some real risk to achieve that. They want to know and understand. I mean, th- these are people who they work me hard, right? Right. But they want to know and understand every bit of it, but if if it's valid, they want to make the big move. But it was a good moment for me because it's like I'm pretty used to selling stuff and you were just like, "What do you believe?" And it's like, "I think they want to do this." And you're like, "What's what's up?" It's it's exactly the opposite direction. Organizations can change and do new things, but the idea of the magical startup that will find a hundred or a thousand times growth inside of the big org, the entire thing is structured so that that must never happen. Yep. I want to I want to close this with a thought, um, a little story that actually happened. A client of ours was looking for like really high level, like C-suite level leadership uh, around technology, and I had a, a colleague, a friend of mine, friend slash colleague who was interested, and I made the connection, and uh, they said something to them. They said, and this was exactly the scenario, by the way, which was we need to pivot in a big new direction. We're a huge company. Uh, it's hard. We're having a hard time. 
mm-hmm. you know what my friend said when he had the conversations with them? He said, I'll do it if you let me do it away geographically from the core headquarters. Yeah. He's essentially saying, I don't even want to run into them in the halls. Like if you're really serious about this and you really want this to be a startup, then let me stand it up elsewhere and actually uh, not borrow oxygen from your culture because that oxygen happens to be carbon monoxide. Did they let him do it? No, they couldn't stomach it. They, because that's scary, right? Because they said, you know what? This is your baby. You're seven years old. You can't move out of the house. You gotta, we got to take care of you. We got to support you. And we got to make sure. And you know what they do after that? Okay, so this is the, this is the virtual, the, like the, the mini startup life cycle. Is There's that. There's like get out of the house. Then there is we'll do it in-house and team B and team A will come up with the right solution. And then well, no, when they do it in-house, by the way, they get like Xbox and they get like beanbag chairs. Those are the worst. Those are the worst. That's right. It's a thing. Well, then yeah. actually, you know what you can do to supplement that if you're a large enough organization? You can mm-hmm. actually hire someone from Google or Facebook. <laughs> <You> <laughs> yeah. like, right. that, that's Which is like the human beanbag chair yeah. that they like to get. And then that person leaves <laughs> in 18 months. And then you know what actually happens in the end is it kind of it implodes to the point that they just reach for salvation for whatever platform is out there. You know, it's like, oh, I guess Salesforce will do this, or I guess, you know. And Shortcut it. Yeah, that's right. What they do is then they get kind of like innovation, but mapped to a corporate thought process into the organization. And now they can kind of get back to work and it, it lets them shortcut that. Yeah. The, we, we try to help people skip all this pain, but a lot of times people just need to go through the pain. They need to go through the pain. I mean, that's just real. So, but we can help you call us up. We'll, help, we'll tell you that yeah, you'll I mean, see Rich's uh, face. Postlight.com. Uh, check us out. Uh, no, it, it's worth sharing. A lot of a lot of the problems and a lot of the things you're contending with are not software related. Like I, I'm going to say this, and maybe this is not right for me to say, but I'll say it anyway. Most software is the same. It hasn't changed a whole lot in many, many years. Uh, this is, I just wrote about this on our website. Like if you go okay. to postlight.com and look for me. It, it, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind it's, of mostly the same. The problems are the classic human dynamic problems, right? One of the things we've learned, and it's really part of how we think about problem solving problems at Postlight, is how do we empower? How do we help you navigate? How do we like make your message stronger as you're communicating internally? Uh, and, and because we've seen too often that the barriers aren't some library that isn't up to snuff. Everything's no, see, done. This is the th- this, the world not, is amazing right now. It really is amazing. I think it's also, it doesn't mean it's easy. You still need a good schema, but you're yeah. not writing your own database, right? Like, and there's that's just right. like, people think that's where the innovation is going to come from. Not really. It's not coming from that part of the platform. It's coming from like, I'm going to connect with customers in a different way, or I'm going to, I'm going to work a little more efficiently internally, right. or I'm going to have better communication. Right. And then you, the tools that you need in order to achieve that are are built. You don't yeah. have to worry. To, it's about orchestrating those and making them That's sort right. of happen inside of your org. Here's what's brutal. It's supposed to be so easy. And well, they always tell you that, right? I mean, oh, it's, it's so easy. Yeah. We're just, you know, we're sitting here going like software, software is so easy. And we're still going to charge you a lot of money to get you some. Well, to, you know? to, 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 to do it real good, right? To do it real good takes a lot of room for error. A lot of willingness to reboot. That's a lot, another reason why big orgs are like, what is going on over there? Like, what are you still doing over there? It's just a thing you said. It was going to be a simple thing. 
Uh, Ask any startup that succeeded, right? They have to kind of, I mean, some pivot entirely. Some like, oh, that big bet we made didn't work. We got to keep going. And they try another thing. That's really what it's like. That's really what it's like. So if you don't have that support to have that room to play, it's it's not going to go well. It's going to be challenging. Anyway, change is possible, but the startup inside of the org is a is an idea that has to be carefully interrogated. Yes, that's right. We are postlight.com. I feel like we're past. We've reached a nirvana state, Paul, where we don't have to pitch postlight in this podcast anymore. No, I think we we just I'll tell you what. You know what I think of when I wake up in the morning? Postlight. You know what I think about when I go to bed? Postlight. I'm living it. I live the brand. When you hear me talk, when you hear Rich talk, Ooh, you're in postlight. It's true. I mean, it's real. It's true. You're right. I mean, by the way, you also, just for everyone out there, Paul has a very beautiful family that he also thinks about some of the time. They are. They're fantastic. I need to go yeah. visit. <laughs> I need to go visit. Um, so uh, check us out, postlight.com. Good discussion, Paul. I, I feel like zooming out it's really not that different than marrying into a family during the medieval ages change into the status quo is a an eternal human challenge it's been around that was, that's exactly the metaphor i was going to use so oh, oh man see there you go no, just, paul just, ford and myself are insane simpatico all right simpatico. let's get out of here let's get back to work be well everyone have a great week bye